If you will, the first Chronicles, we're going to find a story. It's here in first Chronicles chapter 21 this morning. First Chronicles chapter 21. The same story is found in second Samuel 24. And I'm going to reference over to there. If you like to be able to flip over when we reference something, you may want to find second Samuel 24 and just mark it uh, as well. But for the most part, we will be in first Chronicles chapter 21 this morning and uh, really kind of Uh, looking at a story here that probably most of us know and making some application to uh, where we are as a nation and where we are as we come into this election and things of that nature. And so 1 Chronicles chapter 21, as you find it, if you'll stand with me uh, there in your place, we're going to read the first 19 verses of the chapter. And so I'll read fast, you uh, follow along fast, and we'll move as quick as we can. 1 Chronicles chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even unto Dan, and bring the number of them to me, that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be, but my lord the king. Are they not all my lord's servants? Why then doth my lord require this thing? Why... Uh, Why will he be a curse of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and an hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred, threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing. Therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away with the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, either three years famine or three months uh, to be destroyed before thy foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coasts of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me now fall, uh, let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel seventy thousand men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it, and as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done this evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be upon me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake 
in the name of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray that you would uh, give us the understanding that we need to have. And Lord, I pray that you would give uh, the direction for our nation that is needed. I pray that you would bless our nation. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to turn back to you in many ways uh, in which we have turned away. We love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many people today uh, across our land are preparing to vote. Perhaps some have already voted even in this room. I don't know for sure, but uh, I know as we come now, just a little over or just under now, a week and a half uh, from Election Day, many of us are preparing to vote. Many of us are preparing to walk in, and probably the vast majority of us in this room uh, have a pretty good anticipation of who we will vote for and what direction our vote will be cast. I don't think it's any secret, and I don't think it's anything that uh, any of us would uh, look at and say that we are voting for people that, uh, on either side, that are representations of absolute godliness. It's a good thing we're not voting for a pastor-in-chief, amen? Because nobody on the ballot really fits that in any way. And the reality is that as we come to this election... We are not looking at people that represent absolute godliness and a a character that is absolutely uh, just exactly down the line of Scripture what maybe it should be. And we have had presidents uh, in the past, some years ago, many of our founding fathers, that they held to biblical principles because they were biblical. Uh, They were men who knew God, who walked with God. Uh, Certainly not everyone, but many were. And uh, our nation was founded on those principles. But it should not surprise us as a nation, as we have moved away from the principles of the Word of God, as we have moved away from really a sure founding and mooring to the things that are the Word of God, it should not surprise us that the people that come out of our culture and run for an office like the President of the United States, and by the way, many other offices that will be uh, elected or voted on here in a few days, uh, it should not surprise us that people coming out of our culture are a reflection of our culture. They are uh, really a reflection of where we live and uh, the situation that we find ourselves. We live in a day where uh, many of the things that in the past were taken for granted, such as chivalry and gentlemanliness, uh, really are things of the past in many areas. And we're not just talking the political scene, uh, but the way that children treat their parents across our nation uh, in in general, the way that uh, people treat police officers in general across our nation, the way that we treat those whom God has placed in any position of authority across our nation has certainly changed in recent decades. And so as we live in a nation that is increasingly in that direction, it ought not surprise us that we would have people on a ballot that we would not look at and say, I'm voting for that person merely because they are a representation of absolute godliness and holiness, and I am just excited to vote for their moral character and for the person that is running. And uh, that certainly is where we find ourselves now. Uh, Some people would look at a a day like today, and I'm going to take uh, a little bit of time today just to focus on uh, really what I would consider patriotism and uh, our nation. Uh, And tonight I'll preach a little bit different type of a message, but it'll be kind of that direction. This is a different type of a message for a Sunday morning. Uh, For me, I don't really like to get into a lot of these things, but I do believe that they are biblical. 
And I do believe that as we walk into a ballot box uh, here in a few days, that we ought not go in and say, well, I'm a Republican, so I'm voting this way, or I'm a Democrat, so I'm voting that way, or I saw an ad, so I'm going to vote like this. It really needs to come back to what does the Bible say, how does the Bible say it, and then what application can I make as I function in the culture in which I live. And that's what I really want to take some time for this morning. What does the Bible say about this whole setting, this whole situation in which we find ourselves in the United States of America today? How do we function in a biblical manner? Uh, Many today would say this kind of a thing should not be dealt with in church, that church and politics should never mix. Uh, In fact, if you go into our culture, they'll say there's two things you ought not talk to people about uh, unless you are specifically in that realm, and that's religion and politics. And you know that is a lie that comes directly from Satan, number one. Number two, that has probably done as much damage as anything has done to our nation is that idea right there. Because the idea that we would go into our culture knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and not share it with everybody that we could because we're scared to talk about religion is a despicable idea. That certainly does not come from the Word of God. In fact, the Word of God says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our job. That's our duty that we get the gospel out. So we can't buy into the idea of not speaking about religion. And then we come to the idea of not speaking about politics. Can I say that's equally from the pit of hell? It's equally the idea that Satan would want us to have. And that is because that directs the moving and the direction of a nation that's been founded on biblical principle. And you know what happens is when the church steps back and when Christians are silenced and afraid to speak and and afraid to step out and speak into that political realm, what happens is any foundation or mooring for that is moved. And our nation is allowed to go wherever. And so we have a responsibility as Christians to be involved, to know what we believe. Uh, The idea that we would not deal with some of these things in church uh, really comes from the liberal, anti-Bible, anti-God politicians uh, who would like to be able to silence and uh, say the Bible has nothing to speak on these things. One of the great travesties in the United States of America in modern history is that about 75 years ago, pastors in general across our nation, many, not all, but many in what they would call the evangelical circle. By the way, I'll use that a few times probably through the day today. I don't consider myself an evangelical. If you believe like I believe from the Bible, you probably don't consider yourself an evangelical, but that's what they call us and that's where they lump us. And so uh, I'll use that just as the understanding of statistics and things of that nature. But many across what would be called that evangelical circle of pastors decided that this was true. And in essence, and though they did not say it this way, and though they probably would not have believed it this way, uh, at least many, they in essence said, we're going to back out of everything in the political realm. And what they in, in essence did was say, the Bible doesn't speak to that. So as a pastor, I need to stick over here to the things the Bible speaks to. And the Bible obviously must not speak here or else I would have a place here. Now that has done great damage to our nation. Some years ago, It was, in fact, really throughout the history of our nation, it has been pastors, and if you study the history, you'll find that in many cases, uh, a very high percentage of the time, it was Baptist pastors 
who were uh, in places like Washington, D.C. They had relationships with the people there, and they were really the founding and the mooring of our politics. And as a nation, uh, certainly we have not been perfect throughout our nation. And certainly uh, independent Baptists have not been perfect. That's not the idea of the message. But the truth is that what we did do as pastors across the nation at one time in our history is there was a consistent relationship and influence in our government. And what we did was we took this book and we came to the government and we said, hey, what you're wanting to do there is not consistent with what this book says here, and this is what we need to follow. And we used that influence to pull our government a right direction. 75 years or so ago, as we stepped more and more out, and really in the last 65, 70 years, almost completely out of government, what has happened is there wasn't anybody tying the, the America back to this book. And we lost our mooring. The Bible deals with that in, in Hebrews. That's not the study of this morning, but the Bible deals with that. And, and we lost our mooring, and this world is afloat. This world has the ability to drift, because we know who the God of this world is. And so what happened is Satan convinced us to step out of that, which left him to be able to have the influence in our politics. And now as a nation, he doesn't move us quickly, but we have drifted a long ways. The Bible tells us if we lose our mooring, if we lose the consistency and the foundation of the word of God, that we will certainly drift. That's true in our lives. That's true in our church. That's true in our nation. We now live in a day where our nation has drifted far from what it once was. And in some part, it's because even many Christians have decided that we're more concerned in, in voting and things of that nature with, uh, with justice, uh, social justice ideas. And I think I'm going to deal with that in a few weeks. I'm not ready for that just yet. Uh, but some of those things that are not true justice, but social justice ideas, we've decided in many, and again, this is this evangelical circle that we're more concerned with our wallet and uh, what we think will be best for uh, the economy and things of that nature. Can I just say as Christians, we have no business voting for our wallet that's a selfish vote. We ought to be coming and we ought to be voting according to this book. What does God say? And then we ought to be building relationships with those that we vote into position so that when they start, start to go a wrong direction or someone else influences them a wrong direction, that we have their phone number. We can call them and say, hey, you need to come back to the word of God. I've sat in the offices of men, congressional leaders in our nation, and I've had them say to me, you know, we're excited that there are some uh, pastors starting to come back around and starting to have some influence again. But here's what's happened. They said, in, in our office, we consider an email worth about, uh, I forget exactly what they said, I think it was 5,000 uh, uh, votes or 5,000 voters. They said, we consider a phone call to be 10 to 15,000 people that it would represent. They said, so what happens is we're voted by the people to go on behalf of the people to Washington, D.C. By the way, they are not our, uh, our, our rulers, as we might see in a different kind of a government. They're our representatives. Big difference. So they said, we've been voted by the people to go to Washington, D.C. and represent the people. And they said, when we get here and things like abortion come up, we will get overwhelmed with calls saying, uh, because of all the infrastructure that's in place, saying you need to vote uh, for this abortion bill that's going to make abortion more easily available. He said we might get one or two calls saying vote against it. 
It's an amazing thing. You know, the reality is it's the way that it is built into our culture, into our government for us to influence them. And we ought to be diligent about it. And, uh, and I can't tell you I'm perfect in that and uh, that it's something I've done excellently, but it's certainly something I think that, uh, that we need to be on top of, we need to pay attention to, and we need, because what are we doing? We're not trying to get our agenda passed. But what we are doing is we are holding our congressional leaders, our state leaders, uh, our city leaders even, we're trying to tie them back to the word of God and say, come back to this book because this is what is of value and this is absolute truth, so hold to the truth. And that's really what it's all about when it comes to that. So we do have a place to deal with these things. In fact, they ought to be dealt with and talked about amongst Christians and in churches. Uh, The real problem is that we've stepped out and now we need to make sure that we are stepping in. And one of the ways we do that is by using our vote. Um, So what do we do about it? How do we keep from getting to a place where we lose our freedom? How do we keep from getting to a place where we move further uh, and further from the things of God? Uh, most likely there will come a day if world history, if you study world history, most of the time when there's a nation that has religious freedom, eventually it's lost. Now, I hope we never lose it. Amen? I hope we're able to hold it all the way to the end. But I also understand the reality. If at some point we lose it, we need to be prepared now that it's not going to change our walk with God and our consistency for him. We need to be determined now, if they say that if you show up at Eagle Heights Baptist Church next week, that you're going to have to go to jail for it, that we're going to say, you know what, we're just going to be faithful. We're just going to be consistent. Most likely they're not going to say that. They're going to say, we'll give you a ticket on your car when you come out. And we need to say, you know what, we're just going to keep plugging away. We're just going to be faithful. We need to predetermine some of those things. But how do we keep from getting there as long as possible? Let me give you this, and then we'll get right into the scriptures this morning. Number one, we need to vote in the election. We need to be active in the area of voting. It's a civic duty to vote, but far greater, it's a spiritual duty. I believe that when we are purchased by Christ and by the blood of Christ, everything about us and everything that we have and every possession that we own, it's all should belong to him. And at that moment that we receive Christ as Savior, we in essence say, you know what, everything I am and everything I have, I really just want to use it to bring God glory. And one of the great privileges that we have is to live in a nation where we truly have a freedom to vote, where we truly have the ability uh, to go to a poll and be able to use our voice, and we ought to use it for the Lord. And so I believe it's a spiritual duty uh, for us to do that. I really believe that that vote belongs to God. And we ought to vote exactly as Jesus would if he were here. And uh, certainly that can be a challenge sometimes to figure out what exactly would he do. And we're going to deal with some of that today. Uh, but vote in this election. Number two, vote in a manner that's consistent with Scripture. I'm going to spend most of the message on that, so I won't spend much time there now. But vote in a manner that's consistent with the Scripture. Number three, vote for position, not for person. Vote for position, not for person. We'll get to that a little bit as well. And then number four, vote for your principles, not for your party. The reality is those may end up being the same. In many cases, they will, and that's fine. But we ought to know what are the biblical principles that I am voting on and voting for. I'm not going to vote because my boss tells me to vote a certain way. I'm not going to vote because my pastor says to vote a certain way. I'm not going to vote because, well, grandma was a Democrat, and so, you know, my parents were, and I was born one, or my grandparents were a Republican, and my parents were, I was born Republican. No, no, no. We ought to vote according to the principles of the word of God. That means, number one, we got to know the principles. 
And then that means number two, once we know them, then we've got to look, and this is why we're putting some of these tools in your hands today, so we can look and say, not necessarily who's the person, but we can look and say, what are the principles that they stand for that align with the principles that I believe from the Word of God? And that's what we want to be able to do and to look at. Um, So as we look at it and as we are going to vote uh, in a few days now uh, for somebody who probably is not someone that we would look at and say, here's a person because of their character, because of their personality that I'm just in love with, but rather we can look and say, what are these things? Now, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, we've read the passage. We find here a place where I believe the nation is in a similar place to where our nation is uh, now and has been really for the last several elections. And, uh, and we find some similarities here between the nation of Israel and the nation of the United States of America. God's wrath has been kindled against the nation. In fact, if you uh, are there or if you just listen, but in 2 Samuel 24, the other place where we find this story, it's in the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. That's coming into the story. So before the story ever starts, we find God's anger is kindled against Israel. He's upset about some things. He's upset about the position and the place in which the nation finds themselves. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, it goes on and it says, and he, that's God, moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. It's very interesting, 2 Samuel 24, God moved David and God moved him against Israel to say he's going to number the people. But look in 1 Chronicles, where we are, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse number 1, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. All right, we have a problem. Some people would look at that and say, hey, your Bible is inconsistent. It doesn't even know the difference between God and Satan. And so obviously the Bible must not be true. How do we reconcile this? What is happening in the nation? It says God is angry, and so he moved David. It says Satan stood up against Israel, and uh, he provoked David. He influences David. Uh, Which is it? Is it God or is it Satan? I believe that God, the Bible teaches us, tempts or he tests is the word for the purpose of strengthening and for the purpose of revealing weaknesses so that we will become more reliant on him. So God is allowing David to be tempted. He's allowing David to be tested in this this area, in this story. He's allowing the pride of David to be revealed through this testing. So God, in his sovereignty and his perfection, he allows this trial to come or this temptation to come. Now we understand today God tempts no man to evil. Amen? He doesn't tempt in that way. So God's temptation is not to sin. But God will allow temptation uh, into our lives and he will use testing in our lives that will reveal our own weakness so that we learn how much we need his strength. And so here is David. David has become very prideful. David is a man who has been a, a victor in every battle. David thinks his own power and strength apparently and his own wisdom are that which he needs. So God allows this to come. But how does it happen? Well, that which God uses as a test to reveal weakness or to reveal pride, Satan uses that same element as a temptation to go further into sin. Satan then comes and says, you know, I mean, here's the temptation, here's the test, but let's just take this thing and let's go all the way with it. He's the one who tempts David to say, you know what, David, you don't need to know God's plan. You don't need to know God's will. 
Hey, David, you don't need to worry about coming back to the scripture all the time for every little thing. I mean, come on, David. Look at all your victories. Look at all your power. Look at all your power. Let's just move forward on these things. And so we find here uh, that, that God allows it, that Satan uses it, then as temptation to sin. So, God is involved. First, uh, Second Samuel is correct. Satan is involved. First Chronicles is correct. Uh, because David chose to give in to sinfulness, then in First Chronicles, this is attributed to Satan. And what he should have done was recognize his own weakness. He should have humbled himself before God and recognize this is a test that reveals my weakness and my need for the power and the strength of God. That's what he should have done. And then it would have been God allowed this test to come and David responded right. Instead, God allowed the test to come. Satan used it to tempt him to sin, and he stepped into an area of sin. There's some debate as to exactly what the sinfulness of this decision was. There's other places in Scripture where we find them numbering the people, and God is not angered by it. And so uh, we don't know exactly here uh, all of everything that's involved, and there's some debate there. But this numbering was of those who were fighting men, primarily. Uh, We know that David had a thirst for war. He had a thirst for conquest. He had a thirst to uh, go and to conquer. Joab likely knew that David's numbering of the mighty men would feed that, that it would feed David to have an even greater uh, desire to go conquer other nations. And so Joab's even looking at it and saying, David, don't do this. David, it's, it's not going to be right. David, all it is is pride. And, and David, this is something that's detestable in his sight. And, and very likely he's looking at it from a very human perspective. Joab wasn't exactly the picture of great God godly wisdom. And so most likely he's looking at it saying when he understands the full fighting force, he's going to be even more tempted to go take on other nations, to go even beyond the promised land that God's given us. He's going to step outside the boundaries perhaps of God's promise. And then what's going to happen? And so Joab obviously is concerned. Joab is concerned that David is going to go in a wrong direction. The people of the nation had a thirst for conquest as well. They wanted to go. They wanted to fight. They wanted to take on more. Uh, they had become lovers of war rather than lovers of God. They'd become lovers of what they did for him as they were con- uh, working through and, and conquering the land. They became lovers of what they did for God more than they were lovers of God himself. Don't we easily become there in our own lives? I teach this class, I run this route, I do this thing, I have this ministry. It's what we do for God that sometimes we identify by, that we fall in love with more than the Lord himself. And that, I believe, is the great problem of the nation. The nation fell more in love with what they did for him than with God himself. War and conquest had become their passion. They were prideful. They were reliant on their mighty military and their great king. They were uh, understanding in their own minds that they could not be defeated, that they were the great victors. They were the ones who were of all power. Uh, They had become materialistic. They were no longer satisfied with what God had given to them. They're now looking to go beyond that and have more and more and more. Uh, They had forgotten now that it was God who had blessed them. They thought it was their great victory, their great great military prowess that had brought all of these blessings that they were now enjoying in their nation. By the way, does that not sound a little bit like the United States of America? We have forgotten as a country that it is God's blessing that gave us such great things that we have enjoyed through our history. And we think, as a nation, we think, and if you go poll just the average person, 
Well, maybe you don't want to poll. They don't come back real accurate. But, uh, but if you just go find out the average person on the street, they're going to say, you know, America's great because of uh, our ability in this. Or America's great because, you know, we have all these natural resources. Or America is great because of the average person today has no thought that America is great because of America's God. But that is what made America great. What made America great was being founded on the word of God and being a nation that did all that it could to line up with the principles of God. That was our founding. That was what made us a great nation. That is why America has been the most free nation in the history of the world. That's why America has opened her arms to those around the world and been able to have a great influence. America has been the greatest, I believe, nation in the world because America was the most founded on the word of God at the beginning. And the more we've moved away, the less great we've become. And we think it's us. We think it's our policies and we think it's our abilities as a nation, I'm talking, but the reality is that it's about God. Perhaps this is why God wouldn't let David build the temple. Remember the reason that God gave in 1 Chronicles 22, he said that David shed blood abundantly and has made great wars. David, you've become a lover of those things. So I'm going to save the building of the temple for someone else. Now David did a lot of great things. David was the man after God's own heart. We're not trying to be overly harsh on David this morning, but it's just the reality of where he is, where the nation is here in 1 Chronicles. Therefore, this sin was a result of that which was already contaminating their hearts. Can I say in the United States of America, we stand where we are today because of that which is already contaminating the sin, the wickedness, the filth, the idolatry, the things such as abortion that run rampant in our nation, the love of money, the materialism. Uh, we can't serve uh, two gods, God and mammon, and yet we uh, really have gone to just serving mammon as a nation. I mean, we live in a nation that is wicked. We live in a nation that uh, has great wickedness all about it, the sodomy that runs uh, so easily now through our nation. It, it is really an appalling thing. And I believe that the Bible would teach us in Romans chapter 1 that we're already experiencing the judgment of God. I've heard people say someday we're going to experience it if we keep going. But I believe the judgment of God is not uh, always fire falling from heaven. The judgment of God is when God turns us over to our own minds. And we're already experiencing it. And the reality is this, as Christians in our nation, as Christians who are coming to a vote, and we're looking perhaps at the ballot and saying, and I felt even more this way four years ago, but certainly still feel this way in many respects, and saying there's, there's nobody there that has any biblical mooring. There's nobody there that I look at and I say, wow, what a picture of godly character. How then do I vote biblically? How then do I allow the Bible to guide how I'm going to vote and the decision that I'm going to make. And I want you to see this morning uh, several thoughts here from this passage that I believe will be a help to us as we make a decision moving forward as Christians in our nation and really not having to say then, well, I'm just voting for the lesser of two evils. And certainly there may be a time, there have been times where I've cast a vote in that way, and probably you have too. And uh, I've said, well, that's really more a vote against the other person than it is a vote for this person uh, in my own mind. But as we come uh, to this time, to this vote, uh, I believe there are biblical principles that we can take 
and make application with. So first of all, I see the responsibility to choose. The Bible tells us here, chapter 21, verse number 10, the Lord came and he spoke to Gad, who's David's seer, the one who speaks uh, between David and the Lord. He said, go tell David, saying, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Now notice this, choose thee one of them. Hey, David, you don't get a choice. David, you don't get to just kind of pass over this one. David, I want you to choose. It's your duty to make a choice. And as we come to this election, I really believe that it's a duty that we are faced with. David's duty here was to make a decision. That was his job. That was his duty. It's a, a vote that he's going to make. Uh, the make uh, to make that decision was known then by giving an answer to the man of God. So he had to make a decision, then he had to make his decision known. Well, for us today, as we come to this election, we have to make a decision, I believe. And we need to make a decision of what we're going to do, how we're going to cast a vote, things of that nature. And as we come to that time, the way that we make it known is at a ballot box. The way that we make it known is by casting a vote. And that's what happened here with David. But really, David didn't have any options he could look at and say, that is the best option. Think about his choices. Three years of famine... Three months of destruction by the enemies of the Lord, or three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land. Notice it finishes there, the angel of the Lord destroying all the coasts. So, not really good options. I titled the message, How to Make the, uh, a Bad Decision in the Best Way Possible. Sometimes we come to a place, and by the way, I'm making some application to our election. That's not the only application of this. We come to places in life sometimes where we come down the road and there's decisions to make laid out in front of us, and just none of them seems real good. So what do you do when you come there? What do you do when you get to that place? And by the way, let me just say, I am thankful for many of the policies of our president. I am uh, very thankful for some of the things that he's done, the stands he's taken for religious freedom and things of that nature. Uh, so I'm in no way trying to uh, disparage any of that. But I am saying there is obviously some character differences, hopefully, between the way that he might uh, do some things and the way that we might do some things. There certainly would be uh, with all the candidates there. And so uh, the reality as we look at these, how do we come down and look at something and say, there's not, uh, and in any area of life, there's not a great decision, but I have to make a decision. How do I do it? What do I do in a moment like this? How do I make that call and make that decision? And, and David is in that exact position. He has to come. He has to make a decision. And uh, really, he has to decide for the whole nation what's going to happen. As we vote, I really think that we have to look at it and say, I'm, I cannot vote for either person and keep a conscience, uh, perhaps, that is right. But we can vote a biblical vote. Look what David decides. Verse number 12. Um, now therefore advise thy, or the end of verse number 12, now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me, says Gad. And David said unto Gad, here's his decision, I am in a great strait, I'm very perplexed about this. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. I see here, first of all, that there's a duty that we are faced with to make a decision. And then I see the difficulty we face. How do we make the decision? He's in a great strait. He's very perplexed. I'll tell you, four years ago, uh, I knew that I was not going to vote for Hillary, but I was in a great strait on some things. 
I was very perplexed about the situation of our nation. And, and it might be today, you say, Pastor, I'm right there today. I, I'm struggling with some of these things and struggling with how do we make a good decision. Maybe you say, Pastor, I've got a decision in my life has nothing to do with anything going on in our nation, just a personal decision, and I'm in a great strait. And I don't know what's the right decision. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm saying, I don't know how to choose. And, and every option seems to be a bad option. And I don't know exactly what to do with it. And so David here is going to make a bad choice in the best way possible. And this is our difficulty. Uh, we are looking at these things. We are trying to make the decision. And we need to make a decision like David did. Let me not, now fall into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies. What we do is we say, as we come to a time like this, we say, what is the decision that gives the greatest probability and possibility of the mercy of God kicking in? And you know, sometimes we come in life to a decision where we have to say it doesn't seem like there's really a good decision in the, in the bunch. So what's the decision that puts me the most in the hand of the Lord and allows his mercy to be that which may come and work in this situation? And so we're seeking the mercy of God. We're seeking, Lord, what is it that would allow me to be in a place where your mercy is that which will come? Uh, the, the easy thing to do when we come to hard decisions is to just step out and try to not be involved. But that's not fulfilling our duty. And so we need to step in and say, yes, this is a hard decision in my life or in our family or in our nation or whatever it might be. And I need to make that decision. And, and so I need to be involved in it. I need to make the call. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? You know, Paul's reminding us, we have the ability to make judgment calls, and we are the ones as Christians who need to be making those judgment calls and leading those judgment calls in our nation. We have a place and we have a responsibility to lead in these realms as believers. Why? Because God has given us the wisdom of the Word of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit of God. And so we need to be leading our nation. The Bible tells us the church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. All right, the ground, that's the foundation. That's this book. We're to be founded on the word of God. We're the ground of truth. And then the pillar is that which extends the solidity of the ground to that which does not have a foundation. And so we extend out into our culture the truths, the principles of the Word of God to those who are not attached to the foundation, the Word of God. And we see that all over our culture. There are people and there are movements and all kinds of different things that are not attached to the Word of God, but they need somebody who is attached to the Word of God to bring the principles of the Word of God and say, this is how we should align. This is what we should stand on. This is what we should believe. Why? Not because it's my opinion, because it's it's Bible. Really, everything just has to come back to this book. Everything about our nation, everything about our uh, training, everything about our family, everything that we do, it's all got to come back to this book. And that requires knowing the book and knowing how to bring it back to the book. First Corinthians tells us we need to be judging these things. First Corinthians chapter 2 says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. You know, the world tries to say it's wrong to judge anything. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us here that we are supposed to judge some things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? 
But then he says this, but we believers have the mind of Christ. Why? Because we have the word of God. We have the mind of Christ. Do you realize we must be in our culture saying to our culture and saying to our political leaders, look, we know the answers. If you'll listen, we'll give you the answers. Say, why? That sounds like a prideful thing. No, no, no. Because the answers are all in here. And we can bring every single one of them right back to the scripture. It's not my opinion that matters. It's not our church's opinion or stand that matters. It is the word of God that matters. So we just come back to this book and we take it out to those who are in positions of leadership in our nation. And we say, listen, this is what it says. You better pay attention to it. By the way, they won't always pay attention to it. That's okay. But we're doing our job to get the word out, to take it and say, hey, we're being the pillar of truth. We're just attaching you back to the word of God. We're doing all we can to use our influence to make a difference in that area. The decision then that we must make, David's decision was a wise decision to rely on the mercy of God. Our decision as we vote in this election would be a wise decision to say, Lord, what puts us in the best place to experience your mercy and to bring us the closest to the word of God? You know, there's some policy things I disagree with on our president, with our president on. There's some things I strongly, vehemently disagree that he's totally against the Bible on. I'm not standing here today to say you need to go vote for a certain person because they have it all figured out. I will say this. Out of the two candidates that are the most likely to win the office of the president of the United States of America, there's one that, will, that seems to me, and for a time we've seen, will stick closer to the principles of the word of God. That's what it would appear. And the reality is, uh, we may get into this next four years, and I've heard some people say, well, what if uh, we do elect uh, our president again, and what if he steps in and goes totally his own direction and has nothing to do with any of those principles? Then the reality is this, we did what we could to try to put ourselves in the place to experience the mercy of God. That's how we vote. So we come and we say, all right, this is why we put the party platform in your hand. I'm not voting for either person. Neither one has a personality that draws me uh, to, to just vote for them just because of that. And that's not the right way to vote anyway. So what am I voting for? Well, the party platform, as we call it in America, that's what, this is what they are saying. These are our principles that we will fight for. In the Democratic Party platform, they have said, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to read it all, but they have said, quote, we believe that access to reproductive care and abortion services are vital to the empowerment of women and girls. They have said in their platform that they will do all that they can to battle against any law or anything that hinders abortion in any way for women and girls. That they will battle to make sure that a young girl uh, does not have to tell her parents before she goes and makes the decision to have an abortion. They've said that they'll battle all that stuff. You know, I think it would be important just as a Christian to know, here's what they're saying are the principles upon which they stand. The Republican Party certainly is not perfect. The Republican Party has said on page 13 of their platform, quote, we oppose the use of public funds to perform or promote abortion or to fund organizations like Planned Parenthood. Uh, they've said on page 14, we oppose embryonic uh, stem cell research. We oppose federal funding for that research. In other words, they're saying the things that would encourage abortion, we're against them, and the things that uh, would allow it, we're against them. You know, I'm not saying one way or another this morning. What I am saying is, uh, and I'll just tell you, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Biblicist. 
That means I believe we ought to vote according to whoever will stand closest to this book. And oftentimes that may align to one party or the other, but the reality is I don't vote party, I vote Bible. And that's what we need to do here in a week and a half. We need to go in and say, I'm not looking at what party alone, but here's what it does do is when we look at the platform, it says anyone who's going to run in this party has to agree with these principles. And it gives us something beyond a commercial or something they say to a bunch of constituents to be able to look at and say, these are the principles upon which they stand. And then do those principles line up to the principles of the word of God? We need to vote on principle. And by the way, when we make decisions in life, again, this isn't just about voting. We need to make decisions of life that are based on principle. We need to come back and say, Lord, when I come to places that I don't know what decision to make, what are the principles of the word of God that will apply? And then what puts me in the place, if all the options seem to not be very good, what is the place that puts me in the most probability of your mercy? And then we see the results of the choice, and we're done. Really, this is the end of the message. The results of the choice, the destruction that came. Verse number 14, the Bible tells us, So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. The, the, it, it may be that because they numbered the men, it was the men that died and maybe no women and children. But typically in the Bible, such as the time when Jesus had the 5,000 or the other time when he had the 4,000 sit down. And they said there were 5,000 men and there were 4,000 men in each of those accounts. But really it also there would have been women and children. That's the way they would count things in the scripture. And, and probably here, it was not just men that died. may have been because they were the only ones counted and nobody knows for sure. But the guesstimates that I've seen have been somewhere around if there were also women and children and probably would be with a pestilence, a sickness, that it was somewhere around 5 million people if there were women and children that died too. Can you imagine in less than 72 hours losing 70,000 people? Could you imagine losing 5 million people? This was COVID-20, I think. The reality is, all of these people are dying all around them. It's, it's sad. It really would be a horrifying event. If it was anywhere near that 5 million, you can, you can just try to fathom what it must have been like. And this is in less than 72 hours, people are dying. It had to be, the fear had to be on a level it's never been on. The judgment of God, the chastening of God is not something to just kind of take lightly. Here's the chastening of God on a nation. Because they walked away from the principles of God. Because they got complacent and they got comfortable. And they quit following the word of God. And here's an act of pride, a decision of pride, that led God to bring a chastening on the nation in this kind of a manner. What an incredible situation. What destruction that came through all of this. And then we see the deliverance that followed. Verse number 15, God sent an, uh, sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it, so he's going to completely wipe it out. And as he was destroying, as all these people are dying, the Lord rep uh, beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and he's going to stop it. Here's the mercy of God stepping in. The judgment wasn't even fully complete. But we see now the wisdom of David's decision. He said, I'm not going to rely on men to be merciful, but I will see God may bring this pestilence for these three days without mercy. He's right to do it. But it may be that he'll show mercy to us. 
And I just want to say, as we uh, look at some of these things and take a little bit of a different kind of a day, and I recognize that this morning, and we look at some of this, I just want to say, no matter what happens in this election, our God is still in control. Our God is still in power. And it may be that there's a, a decision made that we're for or against or whatever it might be, and there would be probably uh, some different strong opinions and probably some that would be uh, less strong on any side or direction of some of these things. But the reality is this. Our God's in control. He can be merciful where he chooses to show mercy. He also can bring judgment where he chooses to bring judgment. And he's perfectly right in both. No matter what he does, no matter what he allows, he's perfectly right in what he's doing. And our God is not sitting in heaven today saying, oh no, what are we going to do if this happens? And what are we going to do if... No, 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 he already is in control of it all. And he will do exactly what's right. And here David says, I'm just going to trust that maybe God will choose to have mercy. If not, he's right. If so, he's right. I'm just going to trust God. As we go forward, let me encourage you, as we come to this election, don't lose hope if something goes a different direction than you think that maybe it should. And don't put all your hope into the White House or the, the uh, uh, Congress or any of those things if things go the direction that you were hoping maybe they would. Let's not put our hope in the Supreme Court. I'm thankful for some of the conservative justices, but that's not where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the Word of God. And let me just say, none of those are hope, the hope for America. They may make it a little easier on churches, but the church is the hope of America. Churches like this one are the hope of an area like this area. This is what must happen. Uh, and we must come and just bring everything right back to the word of God. Every practical place of life, whether it's voting, whether it's making another decision, uh, whether it's rearing children, whether it's how to be a good spouse, whatever it is, we've just got to bring it all right back to the word of God. And that is the hope for America because the church is founded on and bringing to the principles of the word of God. That's where America has hope. So let's not lose our hope. Let's not get down out and discouraged and depressed uh, if one direction happens. Let's not get over joyful and uh, think, oh, everything's just wonderful and become complacent if another thing happens. Uh, but rather, whatever you think is right and wrong, but rather let's step into it and say, hey, we are praying that God will give us a little bit longer of freedom so we can use it to go win people to Christ. That's the hope. And hopefully we'll have that. And hopefully that'll be that our children will be able to experience freedom and they'll be able to use that freedom for Christ. But if we're not going to do anything with it anyway, there's no point in having it. If you look at the New Testament, if we're not going to use it, God's going to take it and spur us on. That's what he did with Jerusalem. And so the reality is this. It's not really all about the politics. It's really about saying what are the Bible principles and then as we are allowed to have perhaps some freedom and the mercy of God, how do we use our freedom the most effectively to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us? That's what it's really all about. How do we use it effectively so that we can influence and use the influence that we have for the cause of Christ? Because it's really not about us and it's really not even about America. It's really about our God and the word of God and the message of the gospel getting to a lost and dying world. I'm thankful for the freedom. I enjoy the freedom. I love being able to gather like this without any fear that the police are going to come in and take us to jail just because we have gathered. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing that many nations don't know anything about. I'm so thankful for what we have in America. But the reality is, 
Our walk with God is not dependent on it. And what we need to do is say, Lord, as long as you give us freedom, we're just going to take this book, we're going to live its principles, and we're going to influence our culture with the principles of this book as much as we can. We're going to be faithful to the house of God. We're going to be faithful to walk with God. We're going to be faithful to the relationships that we ought to be faithful to. And then we're going to do all we can to win others and tell them of our glorious, wonderful Savior. Because that's the opportunity that we're being given today. So let's make sure we don't get too tied up in the whole thing. Oh yes, let's use biblical principle. But don't get so tied up in that that you're not fully tied up in Christ and your walk with him. I see here that David's dependence was restored. I'll just give this to you. Verses 26 to 28 here in this passage, and you can read them later. David surrenders. David is humbled. David's relationship with God is fully restored. Our decision may not be between godly choices and options, but we can make the decision which places us in the best place to know God's mercy. And we can take and say, where is it that most aligns with the principles of this book? So I want to encourage you as we vote, it's not about a party. It's not about a person or a personality. It's about the principles of the Word of God. And let's take and know those principles. And uh, hopefully some of those verses we pass out will help on that one sheet. But if you have other interests and other things, there's other resources uh, that you can go to that will help you with. Where do I find Bible verses to apply to those things? And I'd love to give you some resources on that as well and uh, be a help in those areas. But let's make sure we bring everything we are, everything we do, right back to the principles of the Word of God. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, where we are as a nation. Lord, we thank you that you have allowed us to enjoy freedom for so many years. And Lord, we pray now that you would give us wisdom as we make a selection here in a short time on uh, who the human leader is that will lead our nation as our president. And Lord, we recognize that no matter what happens, really it comes back to you. You're the one in control. You're the one where our hope is wrapped up in. And Lord, it really isn't about uh, who sits in the White House, and it really isn't about uh, who sits in any of these other positions. It really is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that your word gives us hope. It gives us solidity. We also thank you that the word of God speaks to every situation of life. And Lord, even as we come to decisions like this in our nation, that the Bible deals with them and speaks to them very clearly. And so Lord, as we make a decision, we pray that you'd help us to make it in a wise manner and the decision which most effectively allows us to know the mercy of God. We love you, we thank you, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.